0: Thanks for joining us for another episode. A little bit different this week, we have decided to switch our episodes. So today, you will be hearing our last Suffragist Saturday episode. Yes, on a Wednesday, because the last date to vote early is tomorrow, Thursday, the 29th of October. We hope that if you're still looking for some inspiration to vote, you might find it here. If not, at least you get a good story and a good backing behind while some of the people who won are right, at least Maggie and mine's right as women to vote in the United States. We will still be releasing an episode on this Saturday. It's going to be all about witches because, well, it's Halloween. So keep an ear out for that. We hope you enjoy both this episode and the episode on Saturday.
1: to the Good Old Days podcast, I am Maggie Coomer, and I'm Jasmine Brand, and you're joining us for the fourth and final installment in our Suffragist Saturday series. We're talking about the activist Tai Liang Schultz. She was born in San Francisco in 1887 to parents who were both Chinese immigrants. Jasmine, this oh, this woman. I think Jasmine and I both fangirled hard over her. Because she's just so impressive. And just like Ida B. Wells, Ty Leung Schultz, her entire life was an exercise in fighting for civil rights. From a child, really. Yeah, from the, the really the day that she was born. I mean, when she was nine, she was sold by her parents into domestic servitude. My initial knee-jerk reaction is like, are you kidding? Who would sell their nine-year-old girl to domestic servitude, but this was not at all uncommon for the time. She had several brothers and sisters, and I don't think it was uncommon at all for immigrant families to introduce their children into servitude roles,
0: right? No, that was really common, and especially in situations like this. I mean, San Francisco still today is very densely populated. That is the same in 1887 when she's born there are a lot of immigrant families very small living quarters and so i think probably in the eyes of her family like if they're sending her to be a servant in a household they're giving her more space they're giving her a role where she's earning money some of that money of course is going to go back to the family especially because they sold her into it so that
1: means that the
0: the the people who
1: took her as a servant gave the family money and so I, I imagine that was probably categorized as a salary, right? And it was given directly to the parents. Yeah,
0: it would have been viewed that way. It looks like looks like slavery. looks Looks a lot like slavery, but the Thirteenth Amendment says we can't do that. So yeah. let's call it something else,
1: with the exception of the commission of a crime, right? Of, of course, course, yes. Yeah, that's that's yes. when it's acceptable.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of problems with this, but this is. A, an outcome that we're seeing more and more after the passage of the 13th Amendment of, we can't call it slavery, so we'll call it something else, but it's going to look very similar.
1: There were miscegenation laws that were, what, segregation laws?
0: So they were segregation against marriage and relationships. between Intermarriage. Between yeah, marriages. intermarriage or relationships kind of in general. And then... Okay. That piggybacks off of segregation laws that already exist.
1: So it basically it, it takes it takes racial segregation at its basis for, basic form and it applies it to romantic relationships.
0: Another form of exploitation we see happening within this own family is an arranged marriage. So outside of California, different laws the family arranges for Ty's sister to marry an older man. I think he was from like North Dakota.
1: I saw Montana, Idaho, and North Dakota at three different representations.
0: Yeah. So basically she would have never come back, never seen her family again. And she was arranged in this, again, arranged marriage. There's going to be some payment involved. And we would look at this today as essentially being trafficked or like sold into sex work in, in some form or fashion. So there's this marriage arranged to a much older man she runs away. She doesn't want it. She knows what she's in for. And she has a boyfriend. She runs away and that's it. But the family now is on the hook. They have promised a marriage. They promised a girl. They promised a girl to this man. Yeah, they promised a girl to him. And next in line was Ty. Yeah, next, yeah, next in line is Ty. And she will be sold to this man and go off and marry him and all of the abuse that follows that.
1: That's the plan. That's the plan, anyway. Tai Leung says, no way. Absolutely not. And she runs away from home. And she runs to a Presbyterian mission within San Francisco, right? She does. Run by a woman named Donaldina Cameron? Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about this mission. Tell me like what does Ty do once she gets there?
0: So she had actually befriended Donaldina um before this happened. And that was as a result of this like whole servitude situation. Her uncle had saved her from that, had taken her out of that situation. She started going to a mission to be properly educated and befriends this older woman named Donaldina. And her whole thing, her whole goal in life was to rescue women and girls from trafficking and forced sex work, just like Ty was facing.
1: And, and this, is a, this is a massive problem. At the turn of the, the 20th century. Uh, and one of the documentaries that I watched, <clears throat> I, I believe by 1890, of all of the Chinese immigrants in California, only 4% were women. Only 4% of all total Chinese immigrants in California by 1890 were women. So sex trafficking was rampant. And Donald Dina wasn't having any of it. And she is actually going to um, employ Tai Liung as a translator because Donald Dina, well, she's not going to take this fight lying down. What does she do to rescue young women and girls from sexual uh, servitude, sexual slavery in San Francisco? What does she do?
0: Well, when she hears of a location where this is happening, she will take a literal axe and go and... In- knock down the door with her axe also acts as a weapon for when she needs to defend herself of course and she'll go and take them out of there like you are not going to stand in my way i'm taking these these girls and these women out of this situation and they are coming with me and you are not going to come and find us and that's how she does it and she is credited with rescuing over three thousand women from this situation, which is incredible, especially this is the late 1800s, early 1900s. There's, you know, no real advocacy. It is individuals like Donaldina going out and taking it upon themselves to be able to do this.
1: I I think it's pretty amazing that Ty Young is participating in. I mean, she's, they're essentially emancipating sex slaves, right? And I think it's amazing that Tai is a teenager when she starts doing this. So she's acting as a translator for these young uh, Chinese women um, who, you know, obviously, you know, they're coming straight from China and they haven't had an education. They don't speak English. So and uh, the language barrier there is probably pretty, pretty um, uh pretty intense. So she acts as a translator and she really actually makes a name for herself as a translator. Right. She's really easy to work with. Um, You know, like local governmental entities will call on her. And she actually she ends up working for the state. Right. In 1910, she becomes the first Chinese-American woman to take California's civil service exam. She passes it and then she becomes a government employee as a translator at the immigration what, complex Angel Island. She goes from working with Donaldina Cameron, uh, saving Chinese women from sexual, sexual servitude, to working as a translator for incoming Chinese immigrants. And by getting a job at Angel Island, Tai Leung is able to spot women who could be trafficked, alert Donaldina, and they prevent that trafficking from happening.
0: Well, and this is such an important point, even today, of how easy this is, because you have young women who are are showing up; they don't speak the language, and. They don't know, you know, it's a whole new culture to them. They're not really sure of the social customs, the norms, all of that. And, you know, a kindly older woman approaches them and says, oh, well, you can come and stay with me. I'll feed you. I'll get you work. And that sounds like a really good offer. However, when they actually get to these places, what they're actually doing for work and to keep their place is being sold into sex work. And so that is still something that's still a tactic that is used to this day. It's, it's not changed. Absolutely. So we 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 picked Tai Liang for our suffragist
1: series. So let's talk a little bit about why we did that. In May 1912, Tai makes headlines around the country because she
0: does what exactly, Jasmine? She was the first Chinese-American woman to vote. And by some estimates, not just in the United States, but vote in the entire world, which is incredible. And she talks to, of course, some of these newspapers, and I think the quote she gives them is really, you know, quite poignant and goes – exactly with the suffrage movement. And I I also want to point out 1912 is before the 19th Amendment. And that's because many Western states gave women the right to vote because women were building the West just as much as men were building up the West. And that's something for a whole different episode. But that's why the dates are slightly different. Now, again, this quote she gives to the newspaper, Maggie, I'm going to let you read it because you are so good at doing quotes. So what does she say? (laughs)
1: My first vote? Oh yes, I thought long over that. I studied. I read all about all your men who wished to be president. I learned about the new laws. I wanted to know what was right, not to act blindly. I think at right we should all try to learn, not vote blindly, since we have been given the right to say which man we think is the greatest. I think, too, that we women are more careful than the men. We want to do our whole duty more, I do not think it is just the newness that makes use like that. It is the conscience.
0: And how relevant is that still today? I mean, we have to know what we're voting for, who we're voting for, and really do our own research. And I think that's really what she's saying. Well, absolutely. So I think an informed constituent is a powerful constituent.
1: And um I mean, I I, I can can even like personally, I mean, I'm I'm sure I voted blindly. You know, I don't know the ins and outs of every candidate that I said yes or no to. And that's that's an issue. And I'll take full responsibility for that. I I think that this country might look a whole lot different if if people did their research before casting that that vote, that ballot. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And this completely dispels. Some of the negative things that are being said against women getting the vote of they're not educated enough, especially towards women, minority women. So immigrants, black women, anti-suffragists are saying and even some pro-suffragists that are just pro-white women suffrage is that, you know, minority women aren't educated. They don't know who they're voting for. That's dangerous. This should not they don't know why they're voting the way they're voting. Exactly. That should not be extended to them. And yet in nineteen twelve, this is what's printed in the newspaper by Ty. Like it's just it's incredible. And it completely dispels all of that. And it doesn't come up all that often when we're researching suffrage, but this is a really important kind of point that happens in in suffrage history.
1: I think it's really interesting that when you look in the annals of American history and you talk about if you talk about the women's movement and you talk about the woman's right to vote and you talk about women's rights, you don't see a lot of Asian women represented. Right. You just mm-hmm. you don't. I mean, specifically, like when when I we were doing our research for Ida B. Wells, I mean, I found a lot of a lot of information about white suffragists. I found a lot of information about black suffragists. Not not a lot. (laughs) A, A decent amount of information about black suffragists. But not I mean, Asian women are never mentioned really in the in the fight for suffrage. Right. And so but we have we have proof right here that Tai Leung is in San Francisco daily fighting for the rights of new arrivals, immigrant women, Chinese women and for young Chinese daughters of, of immigrants, Chinese immigrants as well, trying to get them a better life. Those, I mean, they're technically citizens, right? They're born on American citizen or, or born on American soil.
0: Well, absolutely. And as if, you know, she's the first generation in her family to be born in America. There are going to be so many other women and men, honestly, just like her, that don't realize that they have this right, that they have this duty to vote and have themselves represented in government.
1: So from there, Tai Leong, she really remains in the fight. I feel like she's like boots on the ground. That her entire life is boots on the ground fighting the fight for actual real life people. She's not just she's not a a talking head. She's not giving speeches and talking about a general group of people who are underrepresented. Like the only way I can think of saying it's like she's boots on the ground. Like she's actual boots on the ground. Like she's putting her money where her mouth is basically.
0: She's all action. She's all action. I don't think she really cares about the public spotlight. She's not really worried about making speeches or attending conferences or joining leagues or clubs or forming them. She just wants to do what she can do to help. So that is why we see her doing these different things throughout her life, including well into her 60s when she's arrested. And what is she arrested for doing? She was arrested allegedly for
1: driving women to have illegal abortions. like She was driving them to illegal abortion clinics and um, was allegedly a part of an illegal abortion ring. <laughs> so um, she is definitely fighting the fight for, I would say, reproductive rights, the rights uh, for a woman to own her own body and be able to make decisions with her own body. So that's, that's definitely pretty interesting. And I think she was arrested, but all charges were dropped,
0: right? Yeah, they couldn't prove that what she was doing was actually illegal. It was just the the transportation aspect. Yeah. And while well, this is all going on because she starts this well, her arrest is in the nineteen forties and she I would assume <laughs> I'm making an assumption here, I I believe continues to help women in this way or in any way she can. And unfortunately, she dies the year before Roe v. Wade is decided. So she never finds out. She never finds out the decision on that, even though she, I'm sure, closely followed what was happening. I think her
1: marriage was pretty interesting as well. So in 1913, one year after she voted, Uh, In her first election, she married, what was his name? He was a German, German guy. Charles Schultz. Charles? She marries a a German immigrant. I think it was I think he was an immigrant, right? German national. I don't Um, know. He's from Germany. Yeah. Uh, Charles Schultz. And because there were laws preventing mixed race marriages, uh, she and her husband, well, obviously, she and Charles had to go to Vancouver to get married. And when they came back to California, well, they both had government jobs. She met him at Angel Island, um, but they had both lost their government jobs because they had violated state anti-miscegenation laws uh, by marrying each other. So they, I mean, they risked it all to get married. And um, apparently after they both lost their government jobs, they had a little bit of a struggle finding work, probably for the same reason, because I'm sure they were Pretty famous at that point for doing what they did, um, but they end up uh, they end up doing all right for themselves, and they they stay married until his death, Charles Schultz's death in 1935. And um, a, this is a pretty interesting fact about her: she was a big pinball aficionado. She loved playing pinball, and apparently, pinball machines were introduced. To San Francisco, or in they were introduced in San Francisco about 19, like the mid 1930s, and she became a local legend uh, for playing pinball, <laughs> which I thought was pretty
0: cool. Yeah, she's just got like such a cool life. And oh, I thought it was interesting as well. She names one of her daughters Donaldina after, of course, the woman she worked with at the mission. That's that's cool. I love
1: that. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, a really badass figure. Ty Leong Schultz. She as you said, she died one year before Roe v. Wade was decided. I think her her grandson just wrote a book about Angel Island or about her life in Angel Island. So um be sure to look that up. I bet that's super interesting. But how interesting that her grandson, and, and her grandson is not an old guy. Like he's I think he looked like he was in his maybe late forties, early fifties. So just think about how close that generation That generational gap is. People like to think that this shit is so far away from us. This is a stone's throw away from us, from our generation.
0: Well, and he didn't even know any of this about his grandmother. He was approached by someone making a documentary or it might have been when they were making, there's a play about her as well. And he was asked like, oh, do you like know, have any family stories? Is there anything we can include? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then goes into this like big study of her. And that's where this book has come from. So how awesome for him to find out like what a badass his grandmother was, but also that we now have more of this story because of his research.
1: That's amazing. That's really cool. So there you have it. That is the story of the activist Ty Leung Schultz. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked what you heard today, I want you to head to Apple Podcasts and drop us a five-star review. Uh, I would also like for you to visit our website, thegoodolddayspod.com. We have a contact form there if you'd like to send us episode suggestions or just tell us how you think we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Jasmine, what about social
0: stuff? Social stuff. So find us on all of the usual so if you're looking for us on facebook instagram or tiktok you find us at the good old days pod If you're looking for us on twitter it's the good od pod all of those you can just search the good old days podcast or check our website for all of our links and as part of this series especially as we're so close to the vote now we want to hear your voting stories use the hashtag suffragist saturday let us know what you're up to. Well, we hope you all enjoy your weekend. Be sure to vote next Tuesday. Have a great day.
1: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.